0: Let's give God a clap offering. Join me in prayer, Father. We sing only to you. You're the only one who is worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. In heaven, they know you're worthy, that you're preeminent, that you're the first and the last. God, be preeminent in this church. As we sang last week, be the center of it all. Lord, give us, I pray, a a Copernican revolution of our souls so that we no longer think we're the center of the universe. No, Lord, it's you. You alone. And father your word says we we sing to the lord we sing to the lord a new song we sing to the lord and praise your name we proclaim your salvation day after day and god the whole earth is full of your glory fill this room fill our hearts fill our homes Fill our country, Lord, with your glorious hope. And Lord, if you fill us, then we won't be empty anymore. We won't be always searching and thirsting for something to fill the longing inside. Because God, you have made us for yourself. No wonder we're restless until we find rest in you. God, save us from our restlessness this morning. And let us hear your voice and believe that you're really talking to us when you say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You say you are gentle and humble in heart, and we will find rest for our souls. Because, Lord, our souls are tired. And you're the only one who gives rest. Like Elijah, Lord, we're running. We're running fast. We're running for our lives. Lord, let us run to you, to the mountain of God. And let us find you here. And Lord, if there's something you want to say to me or through me to us today, we pray that we will not miss it. We ask it in Jesus' name amen amen what a good good morning this has been a morning of worship I've discovered why I love this time with you all so much and it's because I'm convinced we were made for this that when God designed us to walk and talk with him we were to live lives of worship and this is as close as we get to it corporately to sing together to love the Lord together and I'm grateful that we get to be here together this morning. Years ago, Max Licato read a story in the San Antonio Express News, and he recorded it in one of his books. It's it's kind of a funny story. It's a story about a, a person who owned a bird, Chippy the parakeet, and Max Licato said that the owner of the bird was faithful every week to clean the bird's cage, to feed the bird, to bathe the bird, cared for the bird, but but in particular, on this, on this day, the owner of the bird was in a hurry. I don't know about you, but I regret a lot of things I've done in a hurry. And this owner of the bird thought, well, normally I would take the bird out and put the bird in another container, and then I would just sort of vacuum the bottom of the bird's cage. But today I'm in a hurry, and so I think I can do this famous last words, right? So she opens the cage, she kind of pushes Chippy fluttering aside, and she's got the nozzle to the vacuum cleaner. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? And so she goes in there, and she's cleaning, and everything's going good until the phone rings. And you know what happens when the phone rings, how you kind of turn? And she just kind of turned, and then she heard this awful sound. It sounded sort of like this, And she turned, and and Chippy was gone. And she's like, oh, no. And you know, I don't know about you. I mean, some of you are probably perfectly calm, composed people, but Chippy's owner was not. I think I would not be. And so Chippy's owner opens the canister to the vacuum cleaner, tears the bag open with abandon, and and finds Chippy there sort of fluttering, covered with dirt and dust. And she's like, oh, Chippy, I'm so sorry. What do you do for a bird that is just covered with, with dirt? And so she runs to the faucet and turns the water on. And she starts washing Chippy off. And now Chippy is sort of cold and wet and shivering and stunned. And she's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry, Chippy. What do I do now? True story. She knows what she does when her hair is wet. So she grabs the blow dryer. And true story, Max Lacato puts it in a book. It was in the newspaper. And the reporter who told the story called back some weeks later, being a compassionate soul, to check on Chippy and said, So how is Chippy doing? And Chippy's owner said, and I quote, Chippy is fine, but Chippy doesn't sing anymore. She just sort of sits and stares and gets really nervous when I turn on the vacuum cleaner. You could understand that. Anybody here feel like Chippy? Maybe this was your week, right? Sort of sucked in, washed over, blown dry, and you're just still trying to process... You know, I mean, there're people in life who say, you know, who who make things happen and there're people who watch things happen and there're people who just go, "What just happened?" Maybe that's who you are. You're like, "What just happened to me? I can't believe." Maybe it was a phone call, maybe it was a conversation, maybe it was something somebody said, maybe something you read, and you were turned upside down. And if you're not careful, something in life this week will steal your song. And how do you get your song back when you lose your song? And I noticed about the Apostle Paul that there was never a dungeon so dark or a steel shackle so tight or a pain so great that he ever lost his song. When he and Silas were beaten I read this week in in Acts chapter 16, and then they threw them in the, the prison cell and they made the steel shackles tight. They were in prison, but they couldn't stop them from singing. And it says they were singing a hymn and it was daybreak at midnight and there was an earthquake. Their worship went seismic. It was on the Richter scale and it set all the prisoners free including by the way the jailer who had beaten them paul never lost his song we read a part of that song last week when he said jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation he he is the beginning and the firstborn from the resurrection of the dead so that in all things he might have the supremacy Now I want us to hear this morning Him sing about hope, about glorious hope. Would you open your Bibles with me again? Colossians chapter 1. I hope I'm not moving too fast through this chapter for you. We've been in it nine weeks. We're all the way to the 24th verse, which is a good thing. It's a good place to be. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and not only mine, but a lot of servants of God love this passage of scripture would you stand with me as we read God's word Colossians 1 24 watch in verse 27 there are seven words that ought to have our undivided attention today but let me start in verse 24 and it's a bit paradoxical isn't it it's an oxymoron listen to what he says now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Paul knew something about suffering because, for a period of time, he was the source of suffering for the followers of Jesus. Remember that part of his story back when he was called Saul? He held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, and he was there, but. The interesting thing about that was I'm pretty sure as he watched Stephen that day, at one point it says, our staff's reading this, by the way, in our, in our Bible study together on Wednesday mornings at 10. And there's a moment when Stephen begins to speak. And he's going to recount holy history, all that God has done. And they've put him on trial, just like they put Jesus on trial not long before that. And Stephen's going to be a lot like Jesus because what Paul says in this passage is that's God's goal for all of us. And what Stephen does is he looks and they look at his face and his face, it says, looks like the face of an angel. And then there's a moment when they're killing him with rocks that he lifts his eyes heavenward and he sees Jesus standing. Only time you see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, why? Maybe he's standing in honor of the one who was willing to take a stand. Stephen took a stand for Jesus. And he lifts his eyes and he sees Jesus and he says, Don't hold this against them. Who does that sound like? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen had become a fully mature follower of Christ. How do we know? He talked like Jesus talked. He lived like Jesus lived. He saw Jesus so clearly that he was starting to become like Jesus. And Paul says, just so you know, that's why I do what I do. That's my goal in ministry. There was a time in my life, I hate to confess this to you, when I would have been just happy for the people in the congregation to like me and admire me. But thank God, I've moved beyond that. And now the goal is kind of different from that. So it's not really about what you think about me, but it's how much you see Jesus so that you become like Jesus. And for that, I'm willing to work hard. I'm willing to contend and strive because my goal for all the people in this room is that you will someday be mature in Christ. And as your pastor, the reason I preach is it's my responsibility to help you get closer to that. And to do that, Paul says, sometimes we have to suffer. We always have to serve. But the good news is that Christ is in us and even when things look hopeless... He is the eternal source of our hope. And this hope will not be taken away from us, as the writer of Proverbs says, because verse 5, Colossians 1, it's stored up for us in heaven. So he says, be careful, in the verses before this, not to move away from that hope, because Christ living in you is the source of the hope which reminds you that every day, as you look to Jesus, you are growing in glory, becoming more and more like Christ. So Paul says, through Christ, who is our glorious hope, Christ is our hope, he says, through Him, we suffer for the sake of Christ who suffered for us. So you know the part about Jesus Suffering, but just I want to remind you that when Jesus preached, he said, And you're just like your master, you also are going to experience suffering in this life. The story of the gospel is not just that Jesus suffered for us, and certainly not that that means you and I will never again stub our toe or ever have any pain in our lives. The point is, we're going to suffer, but we can never suffer meaninglessly. Because from Paul's perspective, when he says, I rejoice in my suffering, it's because he knows that his suffering is a continuation of the suffering of Christ. That he's suffering because of the stand he's taken for Jesus. He's writing from a prison cell. And listen to him sing a song of hope. So hope is not just a wish. It's not a a nebulous sort of vague iffy kind of thing like I use hope that way as a synonym for wish like I hope the cool front actually comes in this week but I have no control over that right I don't know whether it will happen or not meteorologists say it will Um, their batting average is eh, you know I don't know not not as good as like Bregman batting average it's kind of not that good so maybe there'll be a cool front maybe not but I'm sure hoping there will be one but hope in the Bible is a confident expectation Read it. It's not just a possibility. It's not just a probability. It's not a pipe dream. It's not Pollyanna optimism. It's not it'll all come out in the wash. No. Hope in the Scripture is a confident expectation that God will do what He says He will do. And our hope is that someday we will see Jesus face to face in all of His glory. And that gives us strength when we're in the middle of of our suffering. Because sometimes we sort of think suffering is something somebody else does, but then we look at our own lives and we realize, yeah, so suffering is um, it's a part and parcel of the human experience. And Jesus experienced it. And Paul experienced it. And Francis Chan shared a conversation he had with some missionaries in Korea, South Korea. They had gone over to Afghanistan. You may remember this story in the news. 2007, 23 missionaries from South Korea go to Afghanistan. It was a dangerous kind of mission. They get over there, and sure enough, they're arrested. They've got one Bible between them. They tear the Bible apart. Everybody gets a part of the Bible. They're thrown into into wells, into, um, into cellars, into jail cells, and they're there for a period of weeks. And during that period of time, the Taliban is holding them captive. And the only thing they have is that part of the Bible that was given to them, just a fragment of it. And they're holding on to that Scripture and there are negotiations going on. And two of the pastors were executed, became martyrs. And meanwhile, there's a lot of negotiation going on. And finally, those 21 are released. And Francis Chan sat down and ate supper with one of those 21 and said, tell me your story. And he said, you know, the most amazing thing is the 16 sisters and four brothers who were released with me, we still get together sometimes. And when we do, the sisters, the brothers sometimes say to me, do you remember what it was like when we were being held captive? How it was like Jesus was right here? I've never felt closer to Jesus than I did then I pray I fast but when we were literally being imprisoned and we were in fear for our lives it was like Jesus was right there and sometimes he said to Francis Chan some of them will say to me do you ever wish we could go back to that captivity when Jesus was so close and in that story what you see is what you also see in the Scripture. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, let's go for a stroll in a fiery furnace. But I want you to know that when they took the stand, they took and said, our God is able to deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your idol. We're going to do and exactly what God says. We're going to worship our God. And they're thrown into this fiery furnace. But if they'd never been in that furnace, they never would have seen the fourth man. Because it turned out when they got in the furnace, they weren't alone. One who was like a son of God, like the son of God, Daniel says. And Jesus is there, the presence of God is so real. Stephen's story, when he's being stoned to death, you say, that's a horrible thing. I mean, surely Jesus doesn't want us to experience any suffering in our lives at all. No, here's what I want to say to you. It's when we suffer that we discover how close Jesus is because we become dependent on Him for every breath. And we know we can't live without Him. And so the message of the gospel is not Jesus did all the suffering so we never have to. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. And there's a cross for me. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let them take up their cross daily. Deny self. Take up their cross daily. And follow me. And the, the, the news about following Jesus is sometimes you're going to go through suffering. The better news is When you're following Jesus, you're never going to be alone in that suffering. Because some people in our world suffer who don't know Jesus. And that must be unbelievably impossible. How would we ever... Sometimes I've heard you say this to me in a dark and difficult moment when we've stood together weeping in a hospital or in a cemetery. And sometimes people will say to me, So how do people make it without the Lord? And I don't have an answer for that question. I'm just glad we're not without the Lord because He empowers us. And so through Christ, who is our glorious hope, we suffer. And through Christ, our glorious hope, we serve. We serve the body of Christ. We serve the gospel. So in verse 23, Paul says... God has made me a servant of the gospel. God has made me a servant of the body of Christ. The word He uses, diaconos, gives us our word deacon. By the way, I was with our new deacons yesterday. Um, We have sixteen new deacons. It's a great day in the life of our church. And I have to tell you, I know these people and I love them, and I'm so glad I get to serve with them. And that's what we're gonna do. Turns out, the deacons, the pastors, like like I said last week, we're not the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body. We're the servants of the body and we're here to serve you. So we're not the people going through the Luby's line. I know, old illustration. We're not the people going through the Luby's line who are saying, yeah, I like some of that and some of that. No, we're the people behind the line with the aprons on. And we're the ones saying, may I serve you, ma'am. May I serve you, Sir, and Paul says, God made me a servant. Some translations say a minister, by the way, deacon, minister, same word. God has made me a minister. God has made me a servant. Imagine Paul's joy to know. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my suffering. Why? Because God has made me a servant. He's given me a commission. I'm a steward. He uses another word there. I, God, I'm a household servant. And my job is to serve the gospel, the good news. My job is to serve the body of Christ. And we, he says, are servants. Where would he get an idea like that? Well, in John 13, where Jesus insists on washing the feet of his disciples and then says to them, so if I, your Lord, washed your feet, guess what you get to do? Wash each other's feet. Uh, and then and Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. If anyone wants to be first, they must be your slave. And then listen to this He says, For the Son of Man, Jesus, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I have a t shirt I wore yesterday. I got it when I was on one of my mission trips over in Bulgaria. And it says consumed on it. Consumed. And it just reminds me when I wear it that whatever else I am in this world, I'm not a consumer of religious goods. I know, I know we live in a sort of free market society and it's kind of like, well, you know, I like a salad bar religion, so I'll get a little bit over here and a little bit over here and a little bit over there. The problem with that idea is that's not being a body. So a body is connected to itself, to each other. Jesus is the head. We're the body. We're connected to each other. It means we belong. Remember that word? We belong to the church. It's not where I go to church. I belong to the church. I heard about one guy who was getting in trouble. He was getting in a lot of trouble. He was getting involved in adulterous relationships. And um, so... Um, the deacons of his church up in Dallas called him and said, so we hear you're going through some really crazy things. We like talking about it. He, goes, oh, yeah. he said, you know, I don't want to be a part of the church anymore. I've decided not to do that anymore. Just take me off your roll. He said, ah, we can't do that. You belong to us. And we're responsible for you. And we care about your soul. So like it or not, We're going to check on you because we love you. And we're going to call you to stop doing those things because we care too much about you just to ignore those things. That's what it means to be part of a body. And here's the thing about the body. If one part's hurting, we said that last week, it's all hurting. And we're part of this body and we serve each other together. Now, this is where the gospel collides with um, American free market consumerism. And I read a quote this, this week. Sometimes we get wisdom from outside our own confines. From A quote from a guy named Ajith Fernando. He's a Sri Lankan Christian. This is his observation. Every place in the world, every church in each culture has its own special challenges, theological blind spots that hinder Christians from growing to full maturity in Christ. And he said, I think one of the most serious theological blind spots in the Western church is a defective understanding of suffering. There seems to be a lot of reflection on how to avoid suffering and on what to do when we hurt. We have a lot of teaching about escape from suffering and therapy for suffering, but there's inadequate teaching about the theology of suffering. The good life, comfort, convenience, a painless life have become necessities that people view as basic rights. Here's the problem with that. If they don't have these, they think something's gone wrong. But one of the results of this attitude is a severe restriction of spiritual growth For God intends for us to grow through trials. Am I the only one who could say today, I'm not happy about the bad things, the hard things that have happened in my life. I'm telling you, when I got that phone call, when we got that phone call, and I watched the color drain from my wife's face, when we found out that her parents, on their way to a Bill Gaither concert of all things, the, the bus crashed and her mother was killed. And her dad kept going back on the bus trying to find her, and he rescued people and all that. And I, you know, I remember those days, and I'm telling you, it's like the rest of life is black and white, but that was, that was like technicolor. And the other thing I'll tell you is Jesus was right. He was right here. Because we knew we had to depend on Him for the next breath I don't know, you parents, I mean, we, we were kind of like this with our kids. We're going to keep our kids from ever having a difficult time. We're going we're gonna to somehow shield our kids, and they're never, ever going to experience any difficulty. The problem with that theory, as my brothers and I talked about it one day, it was the hard times which taught us to depend on God so that we could see Jesus clearly. And if we live our lives going, we're going to shelter everybody so that nobody ever... No, the Apostle Paul said, we suffer and we serve. And why? Because we strive for one thing, for one purpose. And here it is. He said, this is the struggle We want to present everyone mature in Christ. So the goal of life is not to avoid pain. The goal of life is not to accumulate the most stuff. Whoever has the most toys at the end wins. The goal of life is not to get what I want whenever I want it, because usually in my life that doesn't go well. No, the goal of life is for God to get what He wants, and what He wants is for us to grow up. And to be an acorn, may I repeat, is to have a taste for becoming an oak tree. And God planted an acorn In our lives, and inside that acorn, when we became believers, that seed he planted in our souls. Within that, there are branches and roots and leaves. There's a tree in there waiting to be formed. And that the image that God is trying to make out of me and you is to make us together like Jesus Christ so that the body matches the head. Unlike those ridiculous things at amusement parks where you put your head in the little slot and you're suddenly a muscle person. No. No, no, no. Actually, that the body of Christ would fit the head, and the head suffered, so we will suffer, and the head served, so we will serve. But the, the ultimate goal is that 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 we become like Christ, that we grow up to maturity, and we say, Yeah, I know missionaries should be mature, and I know pastors should be mature, but we're no, no, no. Paul says, I warn everyone, so forgive me, but in the days to come I'm probably gonna warn us sometimes. But that's what Paul did. We admonish everyone. We teach everyone. Why? So that we may present everyone, literally every person, mature in Christ. Just to be clear, that's why I do what I do. I want us all to grow up, to become like Christ. And that that means, as Gerard Manley Hopkins said, that our lives are transformed. He's got a a little... um, poem called when king kingfishers catch fire because when a kingfisher bird flies it looks like it catches fire and he says you know we always say well I, it's just about me it's about myself but the end of the poem says i say more the just person justices i mean don't just per people live justly the just person justices keeps grace that keeps all his her goings graces acts in god's eye what in god's eye she he is What are we? Christ. For Christ plays like an actor. Christ plays in a thousand places. Ten thousand places. Lovely in limbs. Lovely in eyes. Not His. To the Father. Through the features of our faces. To become like Christ. That's our hope. That's that's a glorious hope. You know, glory is not like our achievement on the athletic field. Glory is... The outshining, the effulgence, the radiant presence of God manifest in our lives. So Paul says to the Corinthians, we're not like Moses whose face faded after he came down from the mountain. No, we're the people whose faces are becoming more and more like Christ. As the psalmist says, those who look to Him are radiant. As John says in 1 John, we know that when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Because we'll see Him as He is. That will be glory. And it comes to us through suffering and serving and striving. It's hard work. But Paul says, I'm willing to work hard. I'm not doing this just to to have an occupation or a job. This is my calling to help people become like Christ. Every minister on this staff will tell you that. That's what we're here for. That's why we're all here, to become like Him. And I remember John Jasper, a story I heard years ago. He was a pastor in Atlanta. I'll tell you how important he was when they built the big beltway around there where they go like 150 miles an hour around the city. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's like the city of the quick and the dead. If you're not quick, you're dead. It's crazy how fast they drive in Atlanta. But there's a place where literally the beltway moves. It, it bends around a church. Because when they did the plan, the, the road was supposed to go through the church where John Jasper preached and the people of Atlanta wouldn't stand for it. So they moved the road instead of moving the church who was john jasper he was a guy who preached in that city for 50 years and when he became very ill his doctor said to him so you've got cancer it's inoperable you're not going to live and he stood before his church the next sunday and he said so my doctor told me i have cancer and i'm not going to live and the people who loved him began to weep and to wail and he said no stop stop because i'm a christian i'm a little christ I'm becoming like Christ. Christ suffered. Why wouldn't I suffer? Why not me? And so he he said to them, when I die, I'm going to heaven. And when I get to heaven, he said, I envision they're going to look at me and say, John Jasper, who do you want to see first? Wait, wait, I know who you want to see. You want to see Moses, who brought the tablets down from the mountain. And I'm going to say to them, I think I can wait to see Moses. Oh, you want to see David the great king. No, I think I can wait to see David. Peter, who was a rock for the church. No, I can wait to see Peter. Paul? No. Well, John Jasper, who do you want to see? And I'm going to say, so just take me to the throne and let me see Jesus. Because I just want to look at him for the first 10,000 years. Won't that be glory? Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me, when by His grace I shall look on His face. That will be glory. Be glory for me. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus. The confident expectation that when this veil of tears is through, that the tears we cried will have watered the seeds of spiritual growth so that we became more and more like Christ. So that we acorns become oaks of righteousness, a display for Your splendor. God, make it so. And God, help me to proclaim Christ. To admonish when I need to. To teach all of us so that someday, Lord, when I give an account for the souls of the people who said they were part of Tallowood, I will be able to say that by your grace, we became like Christ. And Lord, don't let us stop doing what we're doing until that comes true. In Jesus' name, Amen.